This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey everybody, welcome to No Off Days, which is now operating <laughs> operating under the name Some Off Days or All Off Days, seeing as the season is over, but the work is not completely done. We're here to recap for you the Raptors, uh, their loss, 132-97 to 97 in Game 6 to the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, you know, we've written our pieces, second watch is done, Louis yeah. Satsman and myself are here. Louis, off the top of your head... Uh, What's going on in that game? We saw two ways that the Raptors could lose a game. One is they fall off the tightrope. You know, they, they let go of the the bull, the horns that they're holding. They just think they, they stop doing the thing that's brought them here. Or the second thing is shooting variants. They miss everything. Philly makes everything. And you know what will make them lose real bad? is if both happen at the same time. Yeah, that's uh that was the that was the big thing, right? You're you're totally talking about, you know, that's that's how you end up losing by I guess 35 in a closeout game. And so, I think we should talk about first what allowed the 76ers to put the Raptors in such a bind that they got to combine not just the shooting variance, but the other factors as well. And so, the Raptors had found a game plan that worked. We saw it work in game three, saw it work in game four, and saw it work in game five. And despite not winning in game three, it worked. The inti- they, yeah. got the, they got the, um, the process they wanted to achieve, but not the outcome. And they achieved that outcome in four and five. What, what do you think were the biggest motivating factors for why that fell apart in game six? Yeah, I mean, a lot was riding on there being no weak links in the defensive string. And Gary Trent became a weak link. And, you know, uh, props to him for not allowing that to happen through five games. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a weak link defensively throughout the regular season, despite forcing a lot of turnovers. He was, you know, he gambled out of position, get caught freelancing off ball, give up some blow buys. um, Wasn't a great helper, tagger, etc. And really improved a lot in the first uh, five games. And then game six, the Sixers said, look, if we if we press on this, it might break. And we talked about how Toronto might press on Maxi to find offensive advantages there. And the Sixers saw the same thing in reverse saying, well, Trent is their Maxi, right? Let's see what happens if we hit him over and over and over again. And I thought he had some impressive stands. You know, uh, he had to switch on to Harden. And then they just ran Harden and beat pick and rolls. And he was in this impossible bind. He had some good switches. Uh, you know, one really stands out where I, I wanted him to get scrammed, but instead he three quarters the, the and beat the whole time, you know, stayed for help and then rotated to sort of contest a shot while someone else picked up and beat block out. That's great defense. You know, he, he denied an early pass on one play sort of uh, top locked and he had some, impressive moments but by and large he just didn't hold up against the onslaught 
that Harden and Embiid uh, provided. And at the same time, Scotty Barnes wasn't nearly as good at closing gaps as that sort of off-ball guy. OG Ananobi was in huge foul trouble, never really got in the game. And so, you know, you have a weakness. And at the same time, the guys who are asked to sort of close the, the wall you know, in the siege of Helm's Deep, you know, when they rushed all the wood to the gate when they broke it. They the horn of the Helm hand will sound in the deep one. Yeah, last they didn't have the wood. They, they couldn't hold up. They couldn't shore up the hole once it was blown through the gate. Yeah. Uh, basically, what we saw the 76ers do was it was a prerequisite of every offensive possession to drag Gary into the play and involve him somehow. You were talking about every scram- yeah, you were talking about scram switching. And the Raptors, I think I counted like seven or eight scram switches that they got Gary out of there. But the problem with that is that it dictates that there's movement in your defense. And that does that does provide opportunities, especially for guys like Maxi, yes. who was bolstered, obviously, by a really good shooting night, but just still great decision-making, got to the rim, finished around contests and stuff like that. And Harden, not even the scram switch, but just the straight switch onto Harden and uh, those possessions with Harden. I said this in the reaction podcast, but you wish Gary could do better, but you don't fault Gary for a throwback Harden game. Harden that's was right. phenomenal. Yeah, that's right. And so it was it was multivariate, right? There's so many different things going into how the Raptors lost this game that, yes, Gary, Gary was the point of attack for a lot of these defensive possessions. And sure, the defense, that was one of their worst performances of the season, but it's it's a fundamental flaw in the Raptors system that they just can't paper over everything as much as they want to and try to offensively 97 points, despite Pascal Siakam basically in the first half, the decision-making and the shot making, it's not flawless, but it was about as good as you could expect. Yeah. No turnovers provided good looks for his teammates, hit all the difficult shots that were left to him. And then the second half, still, I think, pretty good process. But yeah. the 76ers decided that we're going to let everybody shoot. Thaddeus Young, Scotty Barnes, you know, whoever, right? Chris Boucher and, and Gary and OG are getting run off of the line. But once again, the release valve of this situation, and this is, you know, Siakam have to work on catch and shoot three pointers into next season too. But if one of Gary or OG gets run off the line, more than likely their release valve will be another guy who can't shoot. So the 76ers are able to mitigate the Raptors shooting well or exacerbate their shooting woes, I should yeah. say. That's That was really tough to do. And I think that's where they missed Fred. Is I, I You and I, 100%. we've talked about this, but diversity in the playoffs is important. The Raptors found something that worked for a couple games without Fred, yeah. but now we're seeing that for it's not that Fred would have won this game for them. It's just that with uh, with Fred out there, the zone uh, defense looks a lot worse. Some of these extra possessions where you can have him working off ball is helpful. Yeah. No, 100%. Um, I think a healthy Fred changed the entire texture of this series from Jump Street. Uh, so much so that I don't think the Raptors were losing if they had a healthy Fred. Um, an injured Fred, like you say, really still would have helped this game out a lot. Um, if they were picking on Trent, uh, injured Fred doesn't do much to the defense. If they pick on Fred, that's probably better than them picking on Gary. And the shooting is just Pascal, uh, 
was locked in a locker and a bunch of guys had keys to let him out and none of them they were all fumbling dropping it's like a horror movie you know when you're trying to get in the front of the house and you, the person's chasing you and you keep oh i can't which one unlocks the it, it was rough it was really rough to watch but and i said this in my piece this is what teams need they're starting a 20 year old a 24 year old and a 23 year old barnes Ananobi and Trent. And then in the second half, they started a 22-year-old, Achua. This is what guys like that, OG Ananobi's been through it before, but the rest of them, this is what they need. To win in the future, you need to lose in the past. And now they have that loss, those scars, those memories. Maybe they're the ones locking another team in the locker next year, right? Yeah, that's, it's like the, it's cliche, of course, but you, it's hard to improve if you never see your faults. And for a guy like Precious, if this series was just all highs, which yeah, if I if I was if I had to tell somebody like in the short form how was Precious, I would say phenomenal, almost yeah. picture perfect. But in Game Six, he was really quite poor. Like the de- yep. the decision making was bankrupt. And and this is something that he can go to the film. He can see that a defense changed how they approached defending him. And then he can make adjustments and it makes him more diverse and more adaptable going forward. I think that's that's great. Scotty, the same thing. I'm all uh, cultural references today. But uh, um, John Hamm in 30 Rock, you know how he's just too beautiful to ever become good at anything because everyone treats him like he's perfect? That was precious through five games. <laughs> he was He was so good in every possible scenario that the idea of his decision-making being good or bad was just irrelevant to his performance, right? He was drawing magic over and over and over. And then in game six, it wasn't working. And he said, wait, am I not the world's greatest doctor and incredible in te- at tennis? And, and he finally was confronted with his flaws, which he just hadn't had any chance to see, which is good. That's pretty good. That's pretty long. good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what I wrote about is how this, and I, I want your take on this, Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam solidifying themselves as a duo. Yeah. If these playoffs did anything, I think that's what they did. Absolutely. I think we didn't get to see a lot of versatility from Pascal Siakam because they needed him to play the leading man. He was John Hamm in that he is the star of everything he's ever in. You're not going to cast John Hamm and give him a cameo. Well, I guess some guys. Okay, this metaphor fell apart. <laughs> Curb, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. He, no, but he was he they he was the only one able to initiate the offense to get a bucket by himself. Scotty isolations against Joel Embiid aside. I have a breakdown ha- coming up. It was incredible. Comparing and contrasting the two, actually. It's fun. That's going to be very fun. But Pascal was typecast. OG Ananobi typecast, right? They, they OG just had to be a shooter, uh, which left Scotty Barnes to do a lot of the versatility, you know, post-ups, cuts, offensive rebounding, some spot-up shooting. He did a, a lot of the connective glue stuff. Pascal can do that. He's extraordinarily capable. He just never had a shot. And I think... As they as they age and Scotty 
shifts responsibility towards him and becomes the guy who can do what Pascal did in this series, we'll see Pascal do a little bit of what Scotty did. He'll fill in. He'll be the glue. He'll duck in for cuts, post-ups. And it's going to be incredible when they're both allowed to be versatile because the offensive structure is able to support that. Look out world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's basically, I can't wait for it. If you're if you're somebody who cheers for the Raptors, the, the premise of those two hanging out, both leveraging their power, their physicality, their their touch, their grace on the court, uh, you know, as opposing forces on opposite ends of the four and then putting them together to work together, whether they're running like snug pick and rolls together or anything else like that. I think that there's just so much potentials. Joel Embiid, the big man, the troll, Troel Embiid, as he has dubbed himself at times. He got the last laugh. Mm-hmm. Now, he was he was very, very braggadocious about it. So Raptors fans will contend that that last laugh is not had until he accomplishes something that the Raptors recently have, which is a championship. I'm curious what you thought about his play overall in the series, how the Raptors defended him, and uh, what the final outcome was of that matchup. He had three, maybe four games where he was the best player in the world. Giannis Antetokounmpo would not have done any better than what Joel Embiid did in, in, in a few games. It was incredible. And honestly, I don't fault him for being happy because the Raptors have been such a roadblock for him. In the regular season, obviously, a 2019 playoff run, this team has given him more frustration and angst and pain than perhaps any in the NBA. And when you get over that hump, it feels great. When Michael Jordan beat the Detroit Pistons, he didn't win a championship that series, won it later, but not that series. It felt great. It feels good to overcome your nemesis. And he showboated maybe when he shouldn't have, and Pascal hit him in the face, and that's all fine. The people's that's, elbow is what that, that, That's people. all good, man. Like, there's no animosity between Pascal and Joel. I have nothing against Joel for celebrating. I have nothing against Pascal for responding. And they both said so after the game. You know, they mm-hmm. said, love the guy, great competitor. That's what good basketball looks like when teams respect each other, keep each other in check. And look, when everything is said and done, Joel Embiid is going to the Hall of Fame extraordinarily high. He is going to be looked at as a generational big man, player, however you want to describe it. And beating the Raptors is on that resume. This series is a big deal for him as a player, you know, going forward, how his mindset is affected. And uh, as much as I love the Raptors, I'm happy for Joel. Well, that's that's honestly the thing, too, that's interesting about this is that Raptors fans can take that step back in the Raptors organization. The players can all take that to differing degrees, obviously, can all take that step back and say development year. Wow. Look at what we've accomplished. Look what the future holds. But Joel Embiid just sees that jersey, the same jersey that, you know, swarmed him for years that he lost to that, you know, brought him to tears in 2019. And the and similar members of the swarm, yes, and uh, and so this is as big as ever. I, he doesn't care if Kawhi Leonard is there or not. He doesn't care if yeah. Kyle is there yeah. or not. This is the Raptors. That's Nick Nurse on the sideline. 
he's going to curse people out. He's going to do all that. And that's that was um, Jack Armstrong on the broadcast is talking about respectability and stuff like that, which, yes, for some players, I think that does apply. But Joel Embiid has never, ever cared about that. He is he's a throwback in that way that if you cheer for the opposing team, he wants to ruin your day. And yeah. you look and he's pointing at you and you're like, you couldn't possibly be pointing at me, but he is. And the league needs those guys. If everyone's buddy, buddy, it's no leak, right? You you got to have MF Doom. For every, you know, collab rapper, you have to have MF Doom to balance it out. Who Who's the... Who's the well? Actually, no, we won't get into that. That's way too long. the The music basketball stuff is like eighteen hours of stuff. Okay, yeah, uh, I think we both sit on the side of the fence that like would rather have not seen Joel Embiid come out on top, but yep. understand why. It kind of where Pascal's comments were. Who am I to tell him how to cheer? It, He's doing. I, his I thing. loved what Pascal. What a what a, a mature and a, incredible response. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? As far as in this, well, for the listener, for the watcher, the viewer, we will eulogize yep. this series and this season. I'm sure it will be quite a long podcast, but uh, we'll talk about all the the important stuff in a big, big way. But this is just yep. for game six between Lewis and I and and you, I suppose. But uh, do you, is there anything else you want to touch on for game six? No, you know, uh, it sucks to lose big and it sucks to lose when you are not playing like yourself you know, when their identity goes out the window. Ultimately, this was a series that could have had very little joy and fun. And it ended up, for a time, having us believe that a miracle was possible. And we got more joy than we should have out of this series. Six-game loss, not that fun. What this ended up being, a blast. So uh, thank you for sticking along with us during... No off days. It has been a pleasure having no off days and uh, looking forward to the off days to come. The Raptors stole pride and respectability from the clutches of defeat. And hopefully Lewis and I have done the same. Thanks for tuning in with us. Uh, This is the last one of these until the playoffs next year when maybe we do it all again. But Lewis, thank you, brother. Thank you. Listener, we'll see you.